Hello, friends, and welcome. This is episode 75 of the Syracuse Sports Podcast. My name is Brent Tax. It is great to have you here. If you found the link on Syracuse.com or social media, thank you for that. But don't forget, you can subscribe in iTunes, in Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Just search for Syracuse Sports Podcast, hit that subscribe button, and you can listen on demand whenever you want. Looking forward to you hearing both of our conversations today. First, we start with Julian Wiggum, former Syracuse Orange football player who joins us every week here on the Syracuse Sports Podcast during football season. Yeah, it's kind of become a lost season for the Orange. They've got a very tall task ahead of them playing, oh, you know, the number one team in the country, a team that will probably end up in its fifth national championship game in six years at the end of the season. Heisman Trophy finalist in Trevor Lawrence, one of the best running backs in the country in Travis Etienne. No big deal. You know, Syracuse football team that's been decimated by injury has its backup quarterback in, 15 players off the two deep and less than 60 scholarship players. They're primed and ready to cover that 46.5 point spread. Yeah, that's right, 46.5 points. We'll talk to Julian about last week's devastating loss to Liberty and how the Orange go forward and what's looking like a lost season. We're also going to talk today with A.J. Walker. A.J. is a senior at Syracuse University. She's a broadcast television film major. She's the music director for WJPZ Z89. I'm a Z89 alum, so always great to talk to a fellow Z89er. A.J. is also on the Spirit Squad at Syracuse University, and she is the president of DSOP, Syracuse University's Diversity and Inclusion Student Athlete Board. They've got an amazing initiative going on now called 44 Hours of Change, which will directly help children in the city of Syracuse. Look for that hashtag on social media, hashtag 44 Hours of Change. You can donate, you can help make a difference for hungry children in central New York. You can visit cuse.com for more information on that as well. AJ's an impressive young woman. And she has a very impressive view of the world around her and the one right here in central New York. We'll talk to her about Disa being a senior at Syracuse University in a rather unique setting this year and how they hope to enact change. But speaking of change, that's something we're not going to see at Syracuse University. And I think it's the right move. Syracuse University Athletic Director John Wildhack put any speculation to rest this week about the status of Syracuse football head coach Dino Babers. Wildhack told Syracuse.com's Chris Carlson, and I quote, He's going to be our coach in 2021, and I hope for a long time. That's what he wants. That's what I want. At the same time, we all know this is a result-oriented business to some degree. When you look at everything we've had to deal with this year, it's been incredibly challenging. I'm not going to judge the book on Coach Babers solely on this year. I'm not going to do that. You can't make emotional decisions. If you make emotional decisions, more often than not, you make the wrong decision. It's about where we are deficient and how do we correct it. As they do every year, Wildhack and Babers will sit down at the end of the season and assess what Syracuse needs. Now, if you feel like a coaching change is what they need, that was never going to happen in the sense of Dino Babers signed a contract extension, one that fans called for loudly on social media and in other places just a year and a half ago. That contract takes him through basically the next presidential election in 2024 in a pandemic, in an economic situation that I would describe as dire right now for Syracuse University. They were not going to pay out the remaining number on Dino Baber's contract. It's not exactly known what that is, but typically 85% of the remaining number of a contract is a buyout. 
That's a lot of money to pay Dino Babers not to coach at Syracuse University. And can you really judge Dino fairly in a pandemic year? Fans don't want to hear that excuse, and I understand that, but it's a reality. Syracuse did not have the practice time in the offseason to fully integrate a new offensive coordinator and a new defensive coordinator. There's certainly been signs of success on both sides of the field, particularly the takeaways from Tony White's defense. It's also been gashed for nearly 1,000 yards in the last three games on the ground alone. That's a major problem that Syracuse has to address. And next year, it's going to be interesting how Babers will address that. He'll have any senior that wants to come back on the roster, the NCAA has said due to the pandemic, that basically this year doesn't count. And if seniors want to return for essentially a second senior year, they can do that. In January, the NCAA is expected to approve the transfer rule, which says that you no longer have to wait a year. You'll get a one-time bonus of transferring wherever you want without that penalty of one year. That could bring an influx of players out of the transfer portal to Syracuse to fill some needs and fill some depth. And then, of course, there's the regular 2021 class coming in, and you say, well, how many freshmen can get on the field? Well, we saw this year and are seeing this year how many freshmen can get on the field. Half of Syracuse's active roster, which is at dire levels under 60 scholarship players right now, are freshmen and are playing and going through the good, bad, and ugly of getting out there maybe earlier in their career than they thought. It's not fair to judge Dino Babers just on this year. And while it's also not fair to just keep him around based on what happened in 2018, that's fresh enough in people's minds to at least buy him a little more time. Look, Syracuse is in a situation where they're kind of darned if they do, darned if they don't. You can't pay a coach not to coach and then go find another name to come in and pay him. So financially, they're strained. Saturday's game against Clemson will represent more than any the challenges Syracuse faces. This is supposedly the team that they're chasing in the ACC, and the gap couldn't be wider. Clemson, as mentioned, is about to play in its fifth national championship game in six years, potentially, and they have the number one recruiting class in the country coming in. That's the way it works in college football. The rich get richer. There's a certain kingdom, if you will, of the Clemsons and Alabamas of the world, and everybody else is just fighting for the scraps. It simply takes more time at Syracuse to build a consistent winning program. Dino Babers has shown he can do it before. He's got to show he can do it again, because year five has essentially become year one. So 2021 is not going to come without its pressure. Dino Babers will have to make a bowl game for this conversation to remain on track. Who knows what normal will be in 2021, but we hope that it's not the unique circumstance that they're playing under now with COVID. The fact of the matter is that firing Dino Babers now would cause more chaos than it would solve. Doesn't change the fact that his seat is going to be awful warm after the new year. In the meantime, Syracuse has to face Clemson and try and salvage what they can of the 2020 season. Let's talk to former Orangeman Julian Wiggum about that, and then we'll hear from A.J. Walker about DSAP and some efforts at Syracuse University to make long-lasting change. Julian, I think we said last week that uh, we didn't want to find out what it was like to lose to Liberty. Well, now we know, and no one's half the battle, so uh, I throw it over to you. It is unequivocally one of the worst losses Syracuse football has had in the modern era, and I think you can stack it up ever. And, and Syracuse has played football for 131 years. So where it falls in the ranking, uh, I'll let somebody else figure that out. But it's not good to lose to Liberty. What were you thinking, uh, not only through the game, but now that it's settled in that it happened? Yeah, so prior to the game, uh, you know, I, I saw that they heard that they were underdogs. And I think pride just naturally kicked in. Like, there's no way 
Syracuse can lose this game. You know, I, I even as the game was progressing, I was prepared to preparing to give the Villanova speech. Like, oh, well, you know, we've come out flat before. It was on our first game, you know, you know, coming out of camp, you know, a team can catch you. And, you know, those first few games are kind of like camp and, you know, they Liberty can catch you. I'm like, you can't lose that game. Like, you, you know, when we played Villanova, they were noticeably smaller, slower, like, and we just weren't doing what we were supposed to do. And the way that Syracuse lost that, it's just like, where's the pride? Like, you can't come out, like, even as a freshman, sophomore, you even against a team like Liberty, you should be able to line up and play football against and win the game. You know, like, there's, there's no reason that Syracuse shouldn't be able to beat and compete with a Liberty. So I, I think the, the pride was hurt, if anything. And I hope this lesson hurts as much as it should for those guys to go back and work on their craft. Because, uh, you know, when, when we played Villanova uh, the, the Sunday after, you know, we ended up winning the game. I think they, they missed a field goal and we won. Um, the Sunday after, after we had the condition, um, Coach Bulla came up and called every single one of our defensive starters out that game and something that we gave up. And in my case, it was a slant. And he laid into me for about a good two minutes and went on to the next guy. And that was so pointed to me. I went out there and took some freshman receivers and just worked on slants because I'm like that. I don't ever want to be spoken to like that again. And I didn't want to feel like that again on the fuck. That just shouldn't happen. So I, my hope is that these guys feel the pain the way they should and do something about it going forward because it's an embarrassing loss. Um, you know, the way that it ended uh, with the Taj Harris situation, like it just didn't look good on the program. Um, and, and, you know, Syracuse is in a really bad place right now. And it, it's exactly how it feels. It's, it's poor, it's bad, it's embarrassing. And, you know, to, to actually see this come to fruition is, is really disappointing. Yeah. There's some bigger points there, but quickly on, on Taj Harris where I don't have, the look I know you're a college kid and you're expressing frustration where I have patience for that is mm-hmm. kids come off the sideline they throw their helmet you know Taj took a pretty big shot in that game and he was kind of expressing frustration I think of where the the route led him I get that but that's a camera that's a television camera pointing at you and you know what that yeah. camera does and mm-hmm. done a few things where I'm sure you've been talked to beforehand that's a decision okay there's one thing in a football game you know better than I, that you just kind of express frustration, play didn't come your way or, or something like that. That happens. Yeah. So to look at a television camera and decide, I'm going to uh, tell it I'm number one. Yeah. I'm sorry. Like, you don't want to lose one of your best players, particularly against Clemson, but I would sit him for the first half. I mean, that would be me. How do you think this was handled? The, the Dino Babers did say he apologized to the team and – I guess within the four walls of the team, they don't care as much as we do outside. But uh, let me just phrase it this way. You're not helping by doing something. Yeah, so I actually – I've come to believe that it would be really important to discipline him in some action that takes away playing time. And the only reason is because that's a a really valuable lesson for any college kid to understand is that especially in the social media era where we have – incredibly public lives that you don't want to put something out there because chances are you're representing your company a little farther out than it used to be. 
And, you know, when Taj, whether he goes to the NFL or catches on to like a normal, real job, like you can't do those kind of things. And you have to exercise a certain level of control, especially emotionally, when things don't go your way, you know, and there's, con there's consequences to that. And when you get into real life and you start to uh, lose control that way, that the costs are much worse than losing playing time. So in that case, I think that they should exercise a little bit more punishment than what they've done. And I will say, like teams, when they say there's been some, there's been an internal punishment, um, and it didn't result in a lack of playing time. The chances are there was something. It probably, it probably was, you know, up there, like where, where you know, it's like okay, he something actually had to be paid to that. But I still think playing because that's the most valuable thing to a player is their playing time. And I still think you you show that and do that and take that away just because it's like in in the long run you know in real life there's punishment for doing stuff like that you can't lose control and it seemed and that's it's just like he made a decision you know and that that tells me that was an overwhelmingly emotional moment and he just lost control and you can't do that you know especially in this 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 kind of era so um i hope that he learns that lesson and i hope internally they they did a i wish that they did more than they did um but you know, it's, it's, it is what it is at this point. And um, it, it should be a valuable lesson to Tosh Harris on um, controlling your emotions um, in, in a hectic moment. Julian, I think back to just a couple months ago when we were wondering if they were going to play football at all. Mm -hmm. And when the news came through, they're going to, they're going to plow through, they're going to try and make this happen. I think everybody was pretty happy. I'm happy to see football on my TV every week. And that being said, now this is turning into kind of a lost season. They've got 15 players that are hurt, that were supposed to be out there in some capacity. Your starting quarterback's gone. Your All-American safety's gone. Clemson is going to be a disaster. I mean, there's just no other way to put it. You know, I, you got to just beg for mercy, basically. The Clemson calls off the dogs after a while here. But even beyond that, what this season's going to be, it's not looking good, especially after the way they played against Liberty. How does this team fight through this? How does this team keep morale up? How does this, key, this team do what they got to do, knowing that it's just going to be tough to compete going forward, at least on the surface? That's what it looks like here. Yeah, so it's, it's hard when you know like the chances of winning are small. You know, the thing is, the, the great thing about uh, the athletes and the mentality that they develop, especially when you move on from the high school level to college, is that in that instance, uh, you've already beaten those 1% odds, right? And naturally, when you overcome that, you kind of, you believe that you can do anything if you put the work in. And that mentality gets stronger the more you play football, the more you overcome. So when you're in a situation like this, where you're looking at, you know, a 1 in 10 season or whatever it may be, you know, it's just a tough stretch Going forward, you still think in every scenario, if I prepare, if I do what I'm supposed to, there's still a chance. If there's a chance, you know, I, I, I'm okay with that. So I, I'm encouraged and want to believe that the athletes on the team, that the natural mindset is to prepare and go about this as best in terms of we want to improve. We I want to identify what it is that we're struggling with. And we're going to try our best to get better with that like you know the other side is a freshman as a young guy like you want to go out there and my hope would be if this is like a son on my team um or you know some someone you know that i was advising i would say 
just be better than you were yesterday. You know, it's all about trying to improve um, and, you know, the, the smallest detail. And as an athlete, you rarely think of it as, dang, like, we're not going to win many games this year. This is tough. This is, this is, I don't want to play. Like, it, it's rare. That's rare. It's really rare. And the guys who think that way don't play anyway. Um, so I'm thinking the mentality is going to be to just improve alignment assignment football. If you got a lot of young guys, they're getting an opportunity they wouldn't get, you know, so you're, you're already telling them, like, come on, let's do this. And, um, you know, as an older player, you're just trying to salvage the season. I mean, there's still obviously some guys want to play in the NFL. Putting good tape out there is important. So there's there's a lot to play for still. And I think that despite the the, the low odds of a successful season, uh, I think these guys, the most important thing is, is maintaining that, that strong mentality of being able to overcome even the smallest percentages and, and making sure that their, their focus is on the small details and improving uh, week to week. From an X's and O's perspective, of course, the defense struggled to stop the run. Again, Liberty actually had 338 rushing yards. It's more than Duke, who had 336. And even the week before that, in a win, Georgia Tech had 275. So there's kind of a five-alarm fire on the defense here. And the term I keep hearing, and you've even mentioned this, is gap integrity. Tell me about gap integrity and how that can get better on this defense. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you know, what's actually like really frustrating about this is the defensive line is, I think, the most experienced group. Yeah, on the team, it's right. not a bunch of freshmen and sophomores. So, like, if if you're talking to freshmen, you're saying, "Dude, you and okay, a little bit of an accent, really the true X's and O things." And we've talked about this, like, in the three-three-five, or when you have three down linemen in any case. The benefit of it is more often than not, if you line up head up, you give yourself an advantage because the offensive lineman doesn't know which gap you're going to shoot. And then once you shoot that gap, you got to stay in it. That's gap integrity. <laughs> you just stay in it. You don't get moved out of the way. You don't fall. You don't. You you stay there and force the running back to go somewhere else. That's gap integrity. And the thing is, because they got a bunch of veterans across the board, they know that. They know that. So to me, that means that they don't understand the defense yet. And that's something that comes out of not having a spring, a summer, or a fall camp. Like just not understanding where they need to be, um, not understanding the commands from their linebackers and where, how they adjust, how they're supposed to uh, do the different stunts and everything else. Like they just – don't understand their defensive line assignments yet. And that's frustrating to see. But, yeah, gap integrity is just a matter of getting to where you're supposed to be and making the play. You may not tackle somebody, but at least force that running back to go somewhere else. And, you know, at this point, it seems to me that, one, because they don't understand where they're going, because they're still questioning where they're playing slower. And then once you play slower – linemen on the opposite side, offensive linemen, they can take you out of the play. And we just see that happening consistently, you know, and as they rotate guys in, you're cutting reps. And when you're cutting reps, you're not getting as good as you could be at it. So we've got a lot of guys just trying to figure it out on the defensive line. And that results in a lot of rushing yards. So it's, it's a really tough situation because, you know, you, you would hope it's almost like the experience is taken away. Because you got all those those veterans, but if they're learning, they're no they're just bigger freshmen, and that's that's not what you want across your defensive line, especially in the ACC. 
On the offensive side of the ball, I think it's only a matter of time before we see Dylan Markowitz or Jacoby and Morgan or both. Uh, mm. Not this week. You don't want to put him <laughs> in against Clemson. That's no. no. Yeah. How did Rex Culpepper do against Liberty, and, and what can he do to kind of keep that position buttoned down, I guess, uh, going forward here? Yeah, I mean, he was – serviceable like he came in and i thought he played about as well as he could you know i've never known culpepper to you know come in there and kill it i've always thought that he was an average quarterback that could make the read um you kind of hope that he goes into game management mode like it, it's it's one of the things where you want to simplify the playbook and the thought process as much as you can you know down to the point that if the linebacker goes left throw it to your right if it goes right throw it to your left kind of thing Right. And I think that's what he's been doing for the most part. It's, you know, very simple reads, take a shot downfield. And it doesn't so far, it hasn't resulted in, you know, many yards yet. Part of that is just drops. You know, the number of drops that I've seen uh, over the last two weeks has been ridiculous. Those that's just focus. It's just focus. That's not has nothing to do with talent. You know, we've seen kids in the little league that can catch like it has nothing to do with talent or anything else. Just a matter of focusing and getting like just catching the football. So, you know, I don't think he's done a bad job. I think he's done, you know, about as well as you would ask the Culpepper to do. Um, his receivers just haven't helped him. And, you know, he's still playing behind the same offensive line DeVito was. You know, he doesn't have that much time. So, you know, it, for him, I think he's done, you know, a decent job. He's not supposed to come in and be the greatest quarterback ever, but he hasn't. I don't think he's played entirely poorly either. Um, it's just there, there isn't much around the quarterback position. Um, you know, I like Sean Tucker. I think he's a good player. Um, he's going to develop into, you know, Syracuse top back, I think. Um, but that offensive line still is improving, and, you know, the receivers got to help out. You've, they got to help out. The drops are ridiculous. You've got to secure the football. But, um, you know, across Culpepper, he's played well. And I don't think we see those freshmen until the end of the year. I'm thinking, you know, not even the last, maybe the last two games. Uh, just because it sounds like from what Babers has said, you know, you don't want to play with a little brother. It sounds like he, he, they're not ready to play like just at all, whether that, you know, being they want to see him or not. It just doesn't sound like they're ready to play. So I think we see a lot more Culpepper this season up until maybe the last game or two. Julian, I'll end on this note. It's amazing to me that this is the team you're chasing. Syracuse is playing Clemson this week. They're the number one team in the country. The last time they lost a regular season game was actually against Syracuse three years ago. And the only other two games they've lost are national championship games. So, I mean, it just tells you how high up the mountain they are. But maybe the gap between these two schools has never been greater. So I think this is going to be very humbling from a macro level. If I'm Dino Babers, and I did ask him about it this week, and he said you have to embrace the opportunity to play this team whenever you can. But if I'm Dino Babers and I'm thinking in my head, like, this is the team I'm chasing, I now see how high that mountain is. Yeah. And yeah, will yeah, in I, this game. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I hope that the entire program sees it, understands it, and understands how far they've fallen as well. Like, it's not like Syracuse was uh, not making progress. They've, they've taken a step back as well and you know this is it, it I, I genuinely hope that both coach I, I, I care less about players at this point like they're they're gonna go ahead and play the game you know I, personally Clemson was always my favorite game you know like they throw the ball as a secondary player they throw the ball a lot just a lot of teams get interception um they're oddly I never thought they were the like 
most physically intimidating team ever. Like I thought that was more Florida State, Virginia looked like. It's just I like to play in Clemson. So them call I think a lot of guys do too. So them coming in, they're gonna play the game. But I'm more focused on both the staff and the large the athletic department, seeing the disparity in what Syracuse is and what Clemson is and trying to take steps to get closer to that. I'm not saying Syracuse is ever going to be, you know, the most dominant program in the country, but they should be able to see, wow, there's a big gap between us and Clemson. There's a pretty big gap between us and the rest of the ACC. And I'm beginning to hope that Syracuse finds a way or starts to realize this and and makes larger steps or takes larger steps towards putting resources into the program. You know, because this is hard to watch. This is hard to see. And I feel like despite the Liberty game, we've been kind of seeing this for a while. Um, And as a player, I started to recognize it like back in like my senior year about, wow, we're not the same as everybody else. And what some of the things that they hide as I was helping them recruit guys, like, you know, um, when you've got like a, uh, what's it called? Uh, when you're when you're taking a recruit, basically, like when I was helping as a senior, like having guys come in and sh- having them shadow me, yada yada, um, like just seeing that's like we're hiding stuff from them, and it's like ah, that shouldn't be the case, you know. This we should be able to show the entire program and be proud of this, and that just shows that we need to put more resources in the program. So I hope that Syracuse begins to do that. I hope that they see the disparity in their program versus um, Clemson and the rest of the ACC. Um, and, you know, yeah, brace themselves because it's not going to be pretty. Um, and, you know, that, that humble pie will hopefully, you know, instill some pride in what Syracuse football could be. And then the program starts to work towards that. So, AJ, tell me about DSAB and what it's all about. So DSAB stands for Diversity and Inclusion Student Athlete Board. It really encompasses student ideas and initiatives. It's student ran, student led, and it was student started. Um, It started because of the social unrest of 2020, but it was more also about the precipice of things that happened at Syracuse University. People who are like me, who were seniors, have lived through um, Theta Tau, through Ackerman, Madrid, and both not again as you movements. So when George Floyd's death happened, coupled with Breonna Taylor and Amart Aubrey, a lot of us were like, this is unacceptable and something needs to be changed. And we can't count on the administration to do it anymore. Um, a lot of student athletes wanted it to be in their own hands. So they created this group, um, which I'm a part of. Many of us were either chosen by our coaches to lead or we were chosen by our teammates. There's about two of us from each team. And we all sit around, well, not sit around, but we come together and we talk about different initiatives that we want that are going to be impacting long-lasting changes in the university. It's great to see it, AJ, because I think when, you know, George Floyd happened and through the summer, everybody's wondering, well, what can we do about it, right? I mean, you could put out statements and social media is certainly very powerful. There's a lot of protests, of course, but eventually this all has to lead to action. And it feels like this is something that that came from that, not just, you know, posting on social media and, and protesting, which have their effects. Certainly this this feels like something you're putting together that you feel like you can make an impact. Absolutely. If you look around the country, so many other schools and at student athletes have spoken out and spoken up and said, you know, there's been longstanding, a longstanding history of racism that we need to correct, that we need to change. 
Um, and for us, it was even more than just about racism. Syracuse has issues with the queer community. They have issues with the disabled community. And we wanted to make sure that every single person felt welcomed, especially since our student athletes represent people from all over the world, all over the country, um, and who come from different religions, backgrounds, and experiences. So for us, especially being that more than 50% of us are seniors and graduate students, it was pernient that these were longstanding changes that didn't just happen because there was one year that people were like, Black Lives Matter. We wanted to make sure 10 years from now, they were still saying DSOB. 10 years from now, people were still saying the creed that we came up with. 10 years from now, we still were using and acting changes that we came up with and the athletes 10 years from now are creating their own initiatives that are pertinent to their time. So somebody listening to this here on uh, Thursday as we record this and even on Friday can participate themselves in, in an initiative that DSOP has called 44 Hours of Change. Tell me about that. So 44 Hours of Change came in part because we really were thinking about the community of Syracuse. Um, a number of us did not come from a fortunate background. So when we look at the city of Syracuse, it reminds us of home, of people we knew, of our families. And so we really wanted to make sure that we took the advantages that we have here and we spread them to the local Syracuse community and more importantly, specifically to the children. Um, I don't know if many people know this, but Syracuse is a food desert, which means that there are not many grocery stores um, or access for people to get to grocery stores. Also 44% of children in Syracuse suffer from childhood hunger. So what 44 Hours of Change is, it's a partnership with Blessings in a Backpack that provides food for children who receive free lunch during the week at school to be able to receive food during the weekend. Um, another thing that people don't know is children who receive free lunch across the country usually do not eat during the weekends or do not eat in the time that they're not at school. So this is really important because we're not only helping children out, but we're giving them their next meal so they don't have to worry about when they're going to eat. It was strange. And lastly, the initiative. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> lastly, the initiatives to raise, they're trying to raise $13,000. Um, $130 pays for a whole year of meals for a child. So with $13,000, we can pay for 100 kids to have a meal for a year. It was kind of striking to hear you say a moment ago, AJ, 44%. Of, of children, given what that number means in this community. And sometimes people just need a number or something to latch onto. And given it's 44 hours of change, 44% of children, you know, I think people are going to hear a number like that. And it's, there's, it's just going to kind of resonate with them a little bit. That, that was pretty striking to hear that. Yes, that's exactly what we are going for. We didn't expect for it to be 44%, um, but the coincidence does help the cause. Um, and 44 hours of change definitely resonates with everyone because of the number 44. And we just wanted to make sure in a short time we could be impactful to um, so many people in our community. AJ, they, they say, you know, 2020 has been a heck of a decade, right? There's been so much that that's happened this year, but you, know, you, mo you mentioned a moment ago you're a senior, and I just wanted to ask you about that experience as your college career has grown, particularly in, in, in taking stands on, on things like this, initiatives that spurn you to action. But boy, I can't even imagine a four-year period where we've seen more change 
in the world and the community and, and, you know, in everybody's lives than, than these last four years? What's that been like for you? Well, as a black woman, it's been challenging and it's also been exciting in the sense of seeing people actually care. So in the challenging sense, um, the school that I went to in California is actually the school that Freedom Writers is about. So I experience racism on a daily basis. Um, to come to Syracuse, which is a predominantly white institution, that also was a challenge to be on the cheer team where I was typically one of the only black women on the team or black people. That was also challenging being in a class and you don't see yourself. Um, that's challenging. Um, however, being here, I have been connected to the black community. Um, I have black friends. Um, my family is very cultured in our black culture. So I didn't feel disconnected. Um, and the longer that I've been here, the more that I felt in touch. Um, when I went this summer to a protest, I cried because for 21 years, I have been trying to fight to tell the world my people matter, that our lives matter, that the things that we experience on an everyday basis is challenging, that being black and being a signifier for trauma and struggle and target being a target of racism is something that never changes and seeing your people die is something that affects you every single time even if there's a hundred people because you know that it could be anybody your mother your brother your sister your cousin your best friend and being somebody who in the future wants to have children, you realize it can be your child. So to see people around the world rallying because Black Lives Matter, because they understood that standing on, kneeling on someone's neck was not right, because they understood that walking into someone's household and shooting them was not right. That impacted me in ways that people will never be able to understand. Um, and lastly, being a part of DSOB um, also significantly has helped helped me because it's given me a platform to not only help my cohorts and my fellow student athletes raise their voice, but also to say to the university and people in the community, there are things that matter and there are things that are important and ensuring that they get done. Because that's the thing as the president that I really make sure to do is that we get things done, that they're not just an idea that pops up, that they're actually facilitated, thought through, and that they come off without a hitch. What's the feeling amongst not only student athletes, but students about the election? You know, we're less than two weeks away from a supercharged election here. I'm not going to ask you who you're voting for or anything like that. I'll, I'll, I'll leave that to you. But it just feels like there is a surge of participation, of energy, of engagement in an election that I haven't seen from, you know, that demographic, 18 to 24 year olds, college kids in a while. It feels like... Uh, to use a sports term, they're all in on, on this election one way or the other. And as a matter of fact, I, I believe the NCAA has said November 3rd, that's what you're focusing on, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to vote or at least participate in democracy, take the choice to do it, but they're not even allowing practices or, or games that day. So th there's a focus on it. It's It's been fascinating to see how that's going. So as student athletes, we are completely and utterly behind it. I personally am a co-founder of Project 444, which is specifically to get athletes registered to vote. We have gotten a number of teams 100% registered. 
Um, even people who weren't originally going to be registered to vote, we've helped them to be registered. I helped one of my teammates from New Hampshire, which actually does not have online voting, <laughs> be able to register to vote. And that was a challenge, believe me. I think the difference between now and before is that we as young people have taken into our own hands to not only register ourselves, to get our friends registered, to get our family members registered. I think before people counted our generation out as a whole, any decade, they said, oh, 18 year olds don't want to vote. They don't care about it. And I think my generation specifically as Gen Zers are so, you know, gung-ho about making sure that everyone knows we care and to subvert expectations. If you see um, the social unrest protests, most of the people out there were Gen Zers. The TikTok um, debacles that have completely, you know, turned around this election, it's people who are Gen Zers. My generation is specifically, you know, focused on telling the world, you may think that we're young and dumb, but they call us young because we're strong. So I think that's why my generation is so positive and forward about it. Um, even in my state of California, we can register at 16 years old. So people are being able to get registered younger and younger. And there's a proposition on the ballot. So um, people who are 17 years old, but will turn 18 by the election of the presidential election can vote in the primaries. So you can even see in legislation how they're even prioritizing now that young people should be able to vote and should be active in what happens in their communities. AJ, COVID's been a challenge for so many in, in so many walks of life. And we've seen how student athletes at Syracuse are, are getting through it. The football team is is playing and has had a couple of hiccups, but is getting through it. Field hockey team, same thing, a lot of fall sports. How has the Spirit Squad gone through COVID and and, and tried to, to, to make the best of a, a challenging situation? So it's definitely a challenge because Shear is a very physical sport. Um, you have to be in each other's faces. Um, it's a lot of movement. So COVID, just getting us cleared was a battle in and of itself. We usually start practicing um, the first week of August. However, we did not get cleared until mid-September. And that was because of all the things that had to be worked out in order for us to be, be able to practice. Um, at first, we were put into two pods, green pod and pink pod, because the original Syracuse colors were green and pink. And then after two weeks, then we were able to mix. And then now we practice without our face masks, but that's just because of how um, physically taxing the sport is, because it's like running. It's very hard to do it with a face mask on. Most sports around the country, I mean, most cheer teams around the country are using face masks. However, um, because we get tested every single week uh, and because um, we're being very, how, how do I say it? Because we're being very uh, cautious, we do not wear our face mask in practice. However, if you step off the mat, you have to wear your face mask. Anywhere else in Manly, you have to wear your face mask. If you're on the mat, you can take your face mask off, but anywhere else in the building, your face mask must be on. So AJ, if somebody's listening to this and, and they want to get involved with DSOB, they want to help out, uh, tell us uh, an easy way to do that where they can find you on social media and, and anywhere else. You can follow us on Instagram at Q's DSOB, that is C-U-S-E-D-I-S-A-B. 
be. Um, if you have any questions, you can definitely DM us. Um, also, you can follow us um, to see how to donate for 44 hours of change. The link is in our bio. Um, and so many of our student athletes who you may already follow have the link in their bio in addition. AJ, uh, it's inspiring to see what you're doing and what everybody's doing there at Syracuse. Keep up the good work. I hope that you reach the goals you're trying to reach here and, and enact positive change. And uh, anything for a, a fellow Z89er, great to, uh, to have a, a fellow Z person on the podcast. But I hope we catch up down the road. But thanks for joining us today here on the Syracuse Sports Podcast. Yes, thank you so much for having me. We greatly appreciate it. And just remember to give to 44 Hours of Change. The fundraiser ends on Friday, or actually Saturday, when the kickoff of the football game. So make sure to donate, donate, donate. You hear from people like AJ, and you know the future is bright. Thanks to her for joining us. Thanks to Julian Wiggum for joining us here on Episode 75 of the Syracuse Sports Podcast. And thanks to you for listening. Don't forget, you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Make sure you hop back in the archive, listen to some past conversations and past guests that we've had. We thank you for being here. My name is Brent Axe. We'll talk to you next time.